It's June, which means now is the perfect time to become an annual member of the CFB Winning Edge Patreon community. This month, if you sign up at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and pay for an annual Tier 1 membership, not only will you receive a 16% discount, you'll also receive Tier 2 access for the 2022 college football season. That means you'll have access to view our 2022 FBS team profiles, our 2022 returning production database, and once it's published, our 2022 FBS stat projections, as well as our CFF rankings and everything else that comes with a typical Tier 1 membership. You'll also help to support this podcast and keep it ad-free, free from outside ads at least. Visit patreon.com CFBWinningEdge for more details or to sign up. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and provider of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. And uh, not a lot going on right now, but it is June 1st as we're recording this. And you guys know what that means. We are just, you know, weeks away from the season starting. We're going to get a lot of college fantasy drafts as was mentioned at the top of the show uh, that you guys heard so we're going to talk a little bit about cff rankings the transfer portal is not closed but there is low admittance right now so not a lot going on there but uh nick how do you feel on june 1st heading towards the 2022 season right now you know it's it's interesting we've talked before about you know way too early and the early preseason and the off season and what have you for some, for some reason, June 1st is kind of, it's almost like a, a switch gets turned on that it's like, all right, now we're, we're in the traditional college football preseason and you know, no just, longer the off season. And now the right. preseason. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's basically, go time for previews and you know all that good stuff i know uh like the athlon preview magazine is out phil Steele's usually i think still like a month away but um you know that that's sort of the first thing. i'm going to the airport early tomorrow morning and it'll be my first chance to uh hopefully buy one of the college football magazines that sort of to me marks uh you know hey now now it's it's preseason college football time so uh part of that makes me a bit worried because i feel like i'm way behind on still some stuff that i want to get done before uh the season starts just put the uh hopefully finalized the template uh for our stat projections which mentioned in the uh intro at the the top of the show added a whole bunch of stuff to that completely rebuilt it and so now it's time to like you know, churn out all the different teams uh, over the next four to six weeks, but uh, was able to get a lot of other things done. We have CFF rankings, uh, as you mentioned, we'll talk about those a little bit later. The returning production database is as complete as it will be basically barring any other updates, transfers and and things like that. And then the first of the month, 
uh, you know, throughout the off season, been updating our power rankings. So just posted those on Twitter for people who are not, uh, you know, subscribers and, and then everybody else uh, can see them in our FBS team profiles with all the, the ratings and, and everything that goes into them. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a busy time. It will get even busier from here, but yeah, June 1st kind of is, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a, an important day, or at least it feels like that to me in the, in the calendar for us. Yeah, I, I think Xavier, just uh, not just college football, but I think also NFL football. Uh, I think June first is kind of, kind of the marker of your, you know, prep season. You're getting ready for the season. Season is happening right now after June first. Are you on board with kind of that assessment and general idea? Yeah, absolutely. Um, even from as a player, once spring practice got done, you got in the summer. That's kind of where you felt like now is the time. Like this is the time where we're going to be making real progressions. This is the time that whatever needs to be installed in the playbook gets installed in depth. You know, this is the time of the year that, you know, to be honest with you, this is the time that you start putting in as much mental reps as possible. Um, Because obviously you don't get to put on the pads and you don't get to go from a physical standpoint, but this is now the time where you're going to be doing routes on air, you know, with your, your quarterback for the next 45 minutes to an hour and a half, you know, just you two. You know, and this is the time of the year that you start to get those jitters. You know, you'll see it on social media. Uh, the, the schools will start posting different jerseys. We're 121 days away from this or we're 99 days away from that. And, you know, that in and itself becomes its own kind of fun game that, you know, social media groups or excuse me, social media pages like to play as we get closer and closer and closer to week zero. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is it. Like this is where you know what you have for the most part. Um, obviously, we'll see some more movement in the transfer portal. But, is, you know, you know what you have for the most part and, you know, you're getting ready. And, you know, these, this is the time where you look at the rest of the locker room and you go, okay, these are our guys, uh, you know, let's, let's yeah. Get yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, this is, it's, uh, actual crunch time. Uh, we're crunching numbers. We're quant- crunching ideas. We're crunching thoughts. A lot of bets are going to start popping up. You know, we've talked over the last couple of weeks about some of these books really releasing, uh, wind totals and things like that. This stuff is going to start coming out. And like Nick said, you know, Athlon magazines, Phil Steele. So just a lot uh, going on right now. So let's dive in and talk about the transfer portal here, here first. And it's been a pretty quiet week. Most transfer moves involve players that saw little to no playing time in 2021. We did have a big one right before we started. But, um, you know, running back Velton Gardner, who transferred from Kansas to SMU and wide receiver Tyler Page from SMU to App State were uh, some names this week, but they had little impact last season. Um, uh, New Mexico State starting wide receiver Cole Garrity committed to Buffalo. Not a ton of upside. We did get Traylon Smith, a former starter from Arkansas, uh, who kind of got you know um, pushed out in 2021, uh, had committed to TCU. He uh, flipped to UTSA instead, and he is going to uh, compete with Ty Edwards, the JUCO recruit, and uh, Brandon Brady. Uh, to replace Sincere McCormick here. So those were the big transfer portal moves, Nick. So uh, uh, very little going on. Uh, what did you do with all that extra free time you had this week uh, <laughs> of not, uh, you know, separating and keeping up to date on all the transfer portal movements? Well, I guess it, it finally allowed me to get things like CFF rankings and you know, some other updates and, and get that uh, stat profile database ready to go. So uh, one, I, I couldn't remember if this snuck in before the last show, but there was also uh, Diamante Tucker Dorsey, the, the 
former FCS All-American linebacker at James Madison committed to Texas. I don't remember if we talked about that last week or not. So I guess that's a, you know, that's a, a pretty big uh, potential at, at least move there um, for a team that certainly could use some depth on, on the defensive side of the ball. So that's uh, maybe the biggest one if, if we miss that one. Um, but yeah, Treland Smith, I mean, he's, he's a guy that, has been a starter in the SEC. I mean, he's been relatively productive at, at times in the past. They just happen to have, you know, Arkansas just happened to have a, a really, really solid uh, recruiting class, especially, you know, adding some potential impact guys at the running back position. And he ended up losing uh, a, a bit of the uh, workload there. I mean, he still ended up as the, you know, top ball carrier from the running back position, but they basically split, you know, 300 plus carries three ways last year. And Smith ended up with a little less than 600 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, You would think going to a place like UTSA that really, really leaned heavily on uh, Sincere McCormack the last couple of years, um, he's going to have an opportunity to, you know, put up good numbers. And, and UTSA uh, wasn't just, I mean, they they leaned on McCormick because he's a good player. Uh, I mean, he he it didn't end up getting drafted, but was well thought of enough, it seemed, to leave school early uh, from the G5 level. But that running back room got really, really thin with him leaving. Because not only, you know, did, did he leave school early, but B.J. Daniels, uh, left. And then uh, Brendan Brady was actually off the roster in spring he was apparently you know on the fence as to whether or not to use that extra year of eligibility decided to come back uh my theory was in part because they just completely lacked depth i mean they brought ty edwards in a a juco transfer who i know there are you know some folks who are really excited to see what he can do he's a big running back 6'2 230 plus um and a guy who you know, had some excitement behind him coming out of high school. I believe he was set to go to FAU, if I remember correctly. Um, but beyond that, I mean, there's, there's, you know, basically no proven running backs. I mean, even bringing Brady back, uh, he just ran for, what, a couple hundred yards and 40, 50 carries, something like that last year. So uh, wasn't, you know, uh, super experienced. Or, or productive uh, or didn't get very many opportunities sitting behind McCormick. And then uh, they moved Jalon Williams, former wide receiver who you know didn't play a ton, uh, has 85 snaps combined the last two years, but moved him from receiver to running back to, to try to strengthen that room. So this was definitely a position of need. And I think uh, that, that Traylon Smith right now um, probably has, has a, a you know at least a fifty percent chance of winning this job in fall camp and and being the go to running back. Uh, Edwards is you know got a, a valuable skill set and the fact that he's a bigger back you have to think short line or excuse me uh, short yardage goal line and uh, uh, the potential to carry a heavier workload. So at the very least you know getting somebody else in there so they won't have to rely so much on on one player but. You know, I've, I've seen things I liked about Traylon Smith. I think he has an opportunity to uh, potentially get a lot of carries and, and you know, hopefully turn those into yards and touchdowns. This is pretty, pretty impactful for not having 
you know, much of any major moves. Um, and this one kind of came in right before we started recording has the, has the potential to be, you know, play a pretty big role, especially in conference USA when we have UTSA, uh, you know, as, as the top team in our power rankings in that conference to try to defend their conference title. Xavier, what do you think? Um, uh, what do you think about Traylon Smith here going over to the uh, the Roadrunners? Because, like Nick said, it seems like there's a bit of a battle, but I think this is why you go to UTSA to get this starting job. Because I think, it, you know, to me, it looks like he's clearing away the number one here. Absolutely, he's got to be a CFF darling in some ways. Like he's gonna. Well, get- Edwards went inside the top 100 in John Lobb's most re- recent uh, mock draft that uh, Nick was involved in. There, uh, he I think he really, he went like 98, 96 somewhere in that mm-hmm. neighborhood. And now Traylon Smith. I mean, you'd think you'd expect just dropping him in to go a little bit higher, right? Right. You know, and so I think this is a great pickup for UTSA. I mean, this is a team who offensively was already you know putting up numbers last year, and I think he's gonna have an opportunity there to to really. But, uh, you know, build off of that. And I think, like I said, if you are able to run for over 600 yards in the SEC, I can only imagine what you're going to do when you take a quote-unquote step down, right? And so I think that in this case for Traylon Smith, as long as he's going to get those carries, yeah, you've got to slot him in at number one, at least at right now. Um, and as long as he can stay healthy, you, this is a guy you got to think pencils in for 1,000 yards, if not close uh, to that just because of his ability, you know, what, what he has shown in his time, you know, in the, for Arkansas and things of that nature. Um, I'll be excited to see how they use him, uh, not just always, uh, in the game, but also in the passing game to see if he's a guy who they feel like is, is comp- uh, competent enough to do, you know, be the third down back for them as well. And if they can use him on three downs, because, obvi- you know, because obviously that's going to help him later down the line when it comes to the draft situation. We saw Sincere McCormick, you know, be a guy who a lot of people had, Pretty, I won't say pretty high, but it was definitely a draftable guy. And so I think when you look at him, same situation. If he's a guy that they can figure out how to use him in the passing game, I think he's the guy who's your day threes and is going to end up on a on a roster next season. Uh, yeah, I, I mean this is um, this is a good move here for this backfield <laughs> and gives us more opportunities uh, in, in CFF, which is very very nice. Uh, that is really all of the news we have, guys. I can't. This is we're 15 minutes in, and that's all the I mean, news. We could that talk we about have. the seating assignments at the SEC head coaches meeting. I'm kidding. I would rather talk about Tommy <laughs> Pham slapping, uh, you know, uh, Jock Peterson. Uh, I bet I guarantee I'll we quit. could get 45 minutes out of Xavier on oh, just absolutely. that. Absolutely. And, you know, it was about it fantasy was football, staged. too. What? Oh, you think it's a war- dude? Welsh brought that up on our baseball. We can't do this, but but Welsh <laughs> brought this up on our on our podcast uh, today that he thinks it's a work too. I'm like a WWE style work. Yes, you really absolutely. think it? I don't know. Uh, I I just I can't. Why imagine. else would you be filming a game an hour and a half before it starts? But they weren't well, filming. They it was like a security cam yeah. or whatever. Well, uh, MLB Network they have those photos. They have those. You know, they always Cameras show all, yeah. all the BP it's, stuff it's going on. Jack texted Tommy. Tommy slapped oh, him just man. a little bit harder than what he thought he was going to slap him. Xavier's got some uh, Xavier's oh, yeah. got some tin tin foil hats uh, uh, ideas here. I feel like, but uh, look, man, there well, are plenty. Of finally, people- found something to complain about Mike Trout about, right? 
I guess. Yeah, he's a bad no. commissioner. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh he he's a bad commissioner. He has zero neck. That are that are those are the complaints about Mike Trout. Oh, that, that just I a quick say. just a quick aside about Traylon Smith. He does have some experience against the uh against the conference against conference USA. Uh, you know, in his first game last year for Arkansas, he ran yeah, 22 attempts for 102 yards and a touchdown. So I mean, if this has any indication on what he'll do against conference USA talent, I know Rice isn't the top, the cream of the crop in that conference. If that's any indication of what he might do for you know UTSA this upcoming year. Hey, exactly. Zachary Franklin, Frank Harris. This offense is looking pretty nice yeah. right now. So yeah. uh, obviously, sincere McCormick, uh, big big loss there, but it looks pretty solid. So Nick, you dropped CFF rankings this week. I haven't done mine yet, but the ITL CFF show is going to come back uh, this week as well. So we've got uh, a lot moving in that direction. And and for us that play any type of fantasy football, June 1st is really a big marker of prep season. You know, uh, a lot of the times we are prepped by now. I'm definitely prepped for NFL football. I'm a little behind on my CFF stuff because of the fantasy pros job I took this year. So a uh, little bit behind, but I'll get my rankings up. So uh, Nick, why don't you just, Kind of tell us what goes into making CFF rankings. Uh, is there anything specific that you do? Is it all, uh, you know, uh, numbers that you pull that that you go by, or is this opinion based? So CFF is actually one of the only things that I do college football related where I don't lean as heavily on the numbers, and and part of that is that. Uh, I'm just a little behind, you know, of, of where I would ideally want to be on those stat projections and and uh, did completely tear everything down and, and build it back up for this year. I think in future years, getting off, starting off on a tangent here, but uh, in, <laughs> in future years, I think I'm going to switch up the off-season calendar a little bit, the sort of the work schedule to move the stat projections as as pretty much the first thing on the list. And, and hopefully that'll help set up for a little bit better um, rollout to these because, you know, I, I've been involved in CFF leagues, best ball drafts, things like that since March. I mean, uh, there's a, there's a certain subset of the CFF community that's, you know, kind of crazy and does this sort of stuff year <laughs> round. And, and I'm fortunate enough that they let me uh, hang out from time to time. So um, this is, you know, taking that CFF partly because I just haven't, you know, gotten all the, the final numbers together yet. And partly because um, I do have an opportunity to interact with, you know, both drafting and, and then also, you know, Twitter DM conversations while we're doing these things uh, with some of the, the brightest and most influential minds in, in CFF, uh, which by the way, I know the CFF site just released their, uh, guide, which is great, and Mike and Joe are kind CFF of CFF site is for sure the standard. They're 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 awesome, and uh, they're kind enough to to uh, give me a shout out in in there, which I appreciate. Uh, and then John, as you mentioned, John Lobb gets uh, a, a bunch of guys together um, to do his uh, mock draft every year, and and that was great. And anyway, so. So because this is sort of an ongoing thing for me and because I just don't have the numbers ready to go yet, I actually do kind of start from an, an opinion side and then also, you know, take account of where these other 
really smart people who, who do spend a lot of time and energy on this stuff, uh, sort of where they are. So um, I do, it's, it's one of the only things, but our CFF rankings do include my personal opinion. It also does include some outside influence, um, just kind of knowing how, you know, ADP and things like that are shaping up where some of these, uh, you know, influential players or are where their opinions are on certain players that will impact how I w- might move up a guy, a spot or two, uh, you know, maybe somebody I was a little lower on, but might move them up a, a touch or, you know, somebody that I actually really, really like, but it doesn't seem, you know, many others have a, a as high an opinion. I might, you know, bring them down a few spots just because they're going a little bit later in drafts and, and kind of want to reflect uh, market value, if that makes sense a little bit too. So uh, these particular rankings, we do have a uh, CFB winning edge uh, dynasty CFF league. That is six points per passing touchdown and one full point per reception. So that's kind of the the template. These rankings are meant to, to reflect that scoring. It's a little bit different probably than, most traditional scorings, four points per touchdown and uh, half a point per reception. But my team this, was one of four in the playoffs in that league last year. Just going to throw true. that out. 20 that's man true. league, you know, <laughs> just, uh, and deep there. like 70 man rosters or something. Uh, but, but so that's why, you know, these, these rankings might not line up perfectly with if you're, you know, comparing them to some other great sources that are out there. Uh, part of the reason, and especially at the quarterback position, might be just because the scoring format's a little bit different. Uh, or the running back position, guys who can catch the ball might be a little bit higher uh, in our rankings. But anyway, so uh, these were uh, uploaded to Patreon. Our Patreon supporters do have access to an Excel spreadsheet that is downloadable that has 101 quarterbacks ranked, 258 running backs ranked, uh, 358 wide receivers, 101 tight ends, and 50 uh, defenses and special teams units. Uh, that also includes, you know, some different information that can be found in our FBS team profiles. By the way, the rankings are also in our FBS team profiles. I just made a page that stacks them one on top of the other positions uh, by positions. You just scroll all the way to the end of the document, and you should be able to see it there. Um, but it's it's got things that are, you know, Obviously, player name has class. It has our approximated remaining years of eligibility, which uh, some people would find useful for dynasty leagues and and drafts and things like that. So you can see uh, the maximum number of years a player might have available uh, to play. We've got, you know, the the, the recruiting rating information, uh, career games played and starts, um, our production points, our player ratings, all that good stuff. So uh, it's not just the rankings, although hopefully those will be useful uh, to our Patreon supporters, but also a little extra information that that might be uh, you know usable for for whatever reason. If if you're not a tier two Patreon supporter, which you should be, and remember the you know the the ad read there at the beginning in June, the month of June, sign up, pay for an annual uh, one tier one membership and you would get access to your two. But anyway, uh, some some information that you might not get otherwise if you're not a tier two member. Excellent stuff. I mean, you know, like everything else on this show ever, 
I get a message in the private chat that Xavier, who doesn't do CFF rankings, has a bone to pick with Nick's uh, CFF rankings, Xavier. So well, what is it that you see that you just can't stand by and you have to say something about? I, mean, I just think it's disgusting that Stetson Bennett's nowhere near. Now, <laughs> to, to, be, to, to, I mean, to be completely honest, uh, no, I, I don't really have all that many bones to pick. I, I will say that I am a tad bit surprised that there that there's no Kendall Milton or Kenny McIntosh anywhere near the top 20. Um especially now I think that there will be that it will be less of a running back room in Georgia this year. Uh, I think it's going to be like two complete defined roles, maybe one, to be perfectly honest with you, uh coming into this year just because I do think that there's uh, not as much talent in the running back room as as there has been over the last couple of years. So I think there's going to be more opportunity for carries and things of that nature. Uh, yeah, I mean that, that, that was really it. I'm, I'm, I'm also Brock Bowers is a number two tight end here. I I'm mean, he got Georgia's on about that because I understand that he has to share touches with Eric Gilbert. Um, you know, uh, one of my favorite guys, if I was doing CFF, would be Marvin Harrison Jr. To be perfectly honest with you, I think he's going to benefit a ton because Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to get all the attention, and that kid is a freak of nature and is going to get a. And you know, if CJ Stroud throws for anywhere near what he threw for last year, which was almost five thousand yards, those yards got to go to somebody else, right? And Jigba is not going to get all five thousand. So I would love Marvin Harrison uh, as a guy. I'm a little bit surprised that Tank Bixby's on here with the lack of talent around him at Auburn and genuinely just. He may That's just why get... he's on there. He's going to have to do everything. Yeah, but I mean, having to do everything might end up being 650 yards and like <laughs> like seven touchdowns. I mean, I just I'm really down on Auburn. So that, that's that's just my my opinion there. I'm just really down on how Auburn might look this year, and he might just be somebody who ends up you know down because of that as well. To be perfectly honest with you. All right, I mean, so let's take I, let's take these one by one and think okay. of some more because we're not quite to thirty minutes yet. We're, this is going to be the, <laughs> let's do it, let's do it. the shortest show in the history. I mean, we've done 100. And, uh-huh. 60 of these. Uh, okay. So Stetson Bennett is uh, QB 62 in our rankings, which does seem low. And, and uh, you know, there are some really smart guys I've been drafting with uh, this spring and, and early summer who take a flyer on him kind of late in, in drafts, especially in uh, the best balls. And, and, you know, he, he showed us last year that he can jump up and, and have a big game, pretty efficient. Uh, also is, you know, connected on, on some big plays and, and kind of tying it in with your Georgia running back uh, comment, you could make the case, even though, I mean, there's certainly not uh, any sort of you know, lack of talent in the, in the Georgia backfield. Um, but you could make the case that, okay, well, Zamir White's gone, Delvin Cook, or not Delvin Cook, uh, James Cook's gone. Yeah. Um, so maybe they throw it a little bit more uh, and, and that you could certainly think, okay, well, Sesson Bennett's going to, you know, maybe take off and run. Maybe he's actually going to be able to punch a few into the end zone on the ground that that might have otherwise been uh, handoffs to to White or or what have you. So, you know, I I could understand an argument certainly to to push him up a couple. One thing is quarterbacks. I mean, it's always deep, but there's just there's a lot of good quarterbacks who who are capable of putting up uh, some big point totals. And Bennett just, I think sometimes, much like just in the standard, you know, college football conversation, 
he does probably sometimes get a little overlooked uh, just because he's, you know, <laughs> small and, and just not real exciting looking uh, on the field, what have you. I don't know. And, and so maybe uh, for whatever reason, people are, are hesitant to, um, to, to, you know, go higher for him or, or what have you. On the conversation or, you know, switching to the, the running back conversation, Part of the reason that uh, neither of the the Georgia guys are, um, this isn't done on purpose, but Kendall Milton is running back 62. So that number 62 again. Uh, But also, you know, we don't necessarily know if one of the the two who we expect to be the the kind of, you know, top two guys on the depth chart, uh, Milton or McIntosh, we don't know which one we'll get that first crack. Um, and I think most of us assume, and, and I know it's this way, McIntosh is uh, 124, by the way. So I actually do give Milton a good bit of uh, a little bit of a gap there, bigger than I think I expected or maybe even meant to. But um, part of it is, will they share carries? Um, because right. in a CFF sense, you know, you really would rather a guy that you know is going to uh, be the go-to guy. I mean, that's part of why, you know, uh, the the UTSA running back uh, situation is is a topic of conversation in these, you know, CFF draft rooms I'm in because last year since Sam McCormick had 299 carries. And, I mean, that is a huge, huge workload. And like you mentioned, you know, talking about Marvin Harrison, uh, those those have to go somewhere, right? I, I expect UTSA will actually throw the ball a bit more this year because they do have uh, a really, really solid group of receivers, maybe the best trio at the group of five level. And Frank Harris is back at quarterback, who can run a little bit, but also has you know, shown some good things as a passer in, in the past as well. But uh, you know, part of the, the big reason why people are so interested in UTSA is because they've that coaching staff specifically has shown they will lean heavily on one guy. And that's why McCormick was like a you know preseason top five guy last year and ended up performing really, really well. Uh, moving on to, to Marvin Harrison. He's number 22. I only uploaded the sheet for the show with the top 20. So he's right there on the cusp for you, Xavier. He's, he's 22nd uh, in receivers. And he's somebody that is on the very, high side of players who maybe haven't you know proven over a full season yet that they're they're a top 25 or maybe even top 20 guy i mean he's right there he's like a third rounder fourth rounder in most of the drafts i'm doing so he's he's somebody that that people have really really high expectations for and jackson smith and jigba is pretty much the consensus number one uh receiver and in a lot of drafts taken first overall because there's uh, a pretty small group of elite receivers for CFF. And that's sort of the, the larger point. And I'm certainly no expert. I've only been playing this basically since we started this podcast and Scott, you know, showed me that CFF was a thing. I didn't, I didn't even know. Um, <laughs> I definitely bullied uh, Nick in, but it was, it, well, it didn't, take, did. it w- didn't take a lot of arm twisting. I was ooh, like, no, I mean, yeah, I'm had like, I, had <laughs> I realized it existed, I'd been playing long ago. Uh, but it's, it's just for whatever reason, I had a, a blind spot that I just didn't really know it existed. And there might be some listeners out there who are like, Hey, I just wanted a college football show. I don't care about CFF. Uh, I was 
rankings can apply to awards sometimes too. If you're just crossing over, you know, uh, there's, there are some type like sleepers and stuff. There's sometimes be plays you're not thinking of that could creep up in awards and, you know, well, uh, it's projected production, right? I mean, that's basically what we're doing is, is trying to, to project production and, what gets lost for me sometimes, and I've, I've, I think I've gotten a little bit better about it over the last three years or however long I've, I've been playing now and, and starting to, you know, we, we've been very, very fortunate that the CFF community and C2C, which is Campus to Canton, which is a crossover uh, college fantasy and NFL fantasy, um, those communities have, have really embraced us and we're one of the first communities really to, to start subscribing on patreon and so i'm very very thankful for that and uh you know but it is a different thing and one thing i've struggled with is hey this guy's really good at football that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be you know uh, going to help much in a cff sense i mean i i geek out over tight ends and h backs and you know things like that i'm trying to to you know read through all the uh, preseason previews I can find to, to like, do I have the right starting left guard here or, you know, the, the backup nickelback or whatever it is, you know, so, <laughs> so there are my, my mind is taken up with a wide range of, of college football topics. And a lot of, you know, big time CFF players are, are of a similar mind, but others are like, Hey, this is a game. All I care about is, you know, the, quarterback receivers running backs and basically only the top guys on the depth chart don't care about anything else so i get that and it's taken me a little while to wrap my head around thinking that way when it comes to cff uh and i think i've made some progress but i mean some of the things you were bringing up Xavier, i i definitely you know have some similar thoughts from time to time just like man this guy's really really good i mean he's obviously going to be a good player why wouldn't he be you know, ranked higher. Why isn't he going higher in in these drafts? And it's a lot of times it's a question on, okay, how's he going to be used? What's the, you know, uh, do we, do we really know how much do we know about what the depth chart is going to look like? And then also just, you know, it's all about production. It's, it's all black and white yards, touchdowns, and a team like Georgia who has several really talented running backs who, you know, as a top three preseason team might end up beating a bunch of guys, you know, beating a bunch of teams by uh, 20, 30, 40 points and then sitting, you know, even they're, they're splitting those two uh, guys carries and then they might not play in the fourth quarter at all anyway. Right. So it's a lot more factors that, that go into it. Uh, and I'm not sure I'm even doing a great job of explaining it, but um, there's, there is a little bit of a break there between, you know, hey, this guy's better. You know, and I know our buddy Eric Froton, who's in a lot of these drafts and, and uh, one of your co-hosts at the the uh, CFF show for ITL, you know, he released a uh, long, you know, put a lot of effort into researching top 20 quarterbacks and, and why his, you know, CFF uh, quarterbacks were the top 20. And a lot of the comments, you know, on, on Twitter and things like that, I mean, plenty of, like, hey, great job! This is this is great. Love yeah, it. but there's also some like, are you crazy? Like, how in the world could you have this guy as a top twenty quarterback? He's, you know, that team is terrible. We don't, you know, but it's, it's yeah, but different. Thing, I mean, right? 
half the time, and this is this relates to NFL fantasy as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want the quarterbacks on some of the teams with a crappy defense or a quarterback that's not that good but has to throw it a lot. You know, uh, there's been plenty of times where um, there have been bad players that produce because they just have to. You have to put up numbers uh, because the defense is so bad. Uh, ECU has been one of those teams forever that has had a you know awful defense but the offense is pretty good that keeps us entertained ucf when well, now the defense is getting better which right might not be a great thing it's cyclical <laughs> it's definitely cyclical right yeah i mean ucf we saw for a long time was an offense first defense second team that was going to just put up points for you so uh yeah there is there is a difference between real football and uh you know uh fantasy production because in fantasy production all you care about is the numbers you don't care who wins the game you don't care what the final score was on the box as long as there's a lot of points and you didn't have roster that team's defense it's just different so um yeah it's kind of silly to say well you know x y or z is an nfl uh level prospect why aren't they higher in your rankings well a lot of times it's because they play in a pro style offense until a couple years ago when Bama started open st- opening stuff up and you saw Tua and, you know, the big-time wideouts there, they were a very much a defense first team, and you want to draft their running back and not much else, maybe a number right. one wideout. But now that they are a, you know, score first and play good defense team, you know, Bryce Young just won the Heisman. So uh, it, back in the Mark Ingram days, it was very much focused on run the ball down their throat and, uh, you know, keep the defense fresh on the sideline. It's a different game now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are, there's plenty of disconnects. So, uh, between the fantasy game and the normal game. So I'm absolutely with you on that. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I just want to bring up a couple more. I just have questions about for Nick. Well, first, what, uh, do we want to go through the rankings a little bit? Oh sure, yeah. So, we can, uh, so we'll go through uh, the position and yeah, then yeah, because because one of them I was, I'm going to piss Scott off, but it's cool. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> oh well, don't do that. Uh, the, the the quarterbacks here: number one, uh, C.J. Stroud; number two, Caleb Williams from USC; number three is Bryce Young from Alabama; number four is Malik Cunningham from Louisville; then Hendon Hooker from Tennessee; Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma; Sam Hartman from Wake Forest; Will Rogers from Mississippi State. Brennan Armstrong from Virginia, Cameron Ward from Washington State, Aiden O'Connell from Purdue, Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina, Dorian Thompson-Robinson from UCLA, uh, Garrett Schrader from Syracuse, Tyler Shook from Texas Tech, Quinn Ewers from Texas, Tanner Mordecai from SMU, Jared Deggie from Western uh, Michigan or WKU, excuse me. I wanted to say West Virginia, uh, not there anymore. WKU, uh, Jay Kaner from Fresno State, and then Clayton Toon from Houston. So, Xavier, what's your issue here at quarterback? Any issue? You know who I'm coming. If it involves you, what does it involve? Quinn, I didn't think it would be quarterback. I thought you were going to say, how can Jaleel Billingsley not be in the top 10 tight ends? No, so, no, not at all. No, that's not it. Oh, yeah, okay. no, it's definitely Quinn Ewers being 16 on that list. Um, and I, I gave a couple of names. What are you talking about? He, I'm, I'm. By the way, Xavier, I'm low on Quinn Ewers compared uh, to yeah. I mean, he's top 10 and a lot yeah, of people. And that's the scary part about this. <laughs> he hasn't thrown a football in a competitive game in uh, two years, and, and everybody's like, "Hey, he's gonna hit the ground running." And it's like, maybe. Maybe well, look well, so, at the weapons so around him, though. I mean, that's that's fair. You can make that argument, and I understand that. However, 
What's the, you could be him, you could be great, or you could end up being Graham Mertz. He was also a five star that everybody was talking about when he came into Wisconsin. Star. Then what happened? I mean, he's a high four star. Okay, this, high this, four star, oh, five star on hold on, hold on. Before you respond, Nick, uh, th- this is what I want from Xavier, real mm-hmm. quick, just uh, because the CFF ranks, if you want to see them in their entirety, are on the depth chart, the CFP winning edge uh, depth chart, Xavier. So there's uh, a tab for them okay. under there. How many quarterbacks are you taking over Quinn yours that that have that type of upside? That's well, I, my well, question. I got, I got I got two labeled here right here. I'm, I'm taking Devin Leary before him, easy, and I'm taking Talia before him, easy. Um, both of those guys can go over Quinn yours in my opinion. Devin Leary, obvious reasons. This is a kid who might end up being a top fifteen, top twenty draft pick in next year's draft. Uh, he's got more, you know, hype around him than, you know, maybe I've even been surprised about. And then Talia for obvious reasons, because Maryland can't run the football to save their life. And the only reason why they're going to even have a pulse is because he throws the ball for 400 yards a game. So, like, you know, and, and I genuinely believe he can take a next step that coming into this year. This is a guy who last year threw the ball for, you know, uh, over 3,500 yards. Uh, you know, almost 30 touchdowns and, you know, uh, right around 10 to 12 interceptions. I think he can give you that similar production or more than that production this year coming up. Uh, he's due for 3,800 yards, excuse me. So would it be all the random possibility that he goes for 4,200 yards, 35 touchdowns and 13 interceptions? Not in the slightest. Uh, to a last season, I'm just trying to look to see where he ranked. Uh, just oh, yeah, uh, among the quarterbacks, because he averaged 21 points per game. He was the 37th ranked QB in CFF mm-hmm. last year. Uh, and who was uh, Leary was the other yes. one? Devin. Uh, let me see. Leary um, was 23rd, 23.5 points per game. The guys ahead of him, Desmond Ritter was one spot ahead of um, Leary. Leary. Uh, okay. Frank Harris was uh, two spots. Uh, Jay Kaner was ahead of him. Will Rogers was ahead of him. Grayson McCall, Hendon Hooker, a lot of the guys. Uh, DTR, yeah, yeah a, a lot of the guys that we have were ahead of him. Yeah, because my biggest thing when I was looking at yours is just genuinely his lack of production. Not, and that's not his fault whatsoever, but just him not being there and whether or not he hits the ground running or not. In my opinion, I mean, you can't waste the week in CFF if, you know, if I'm thinking the same way with, you know, my my NFL fantasy mind. If, you know, Matthew Stafford goes out there and throws a dud in week one, that could be detrimental. And they play far less games. So I, I haven't been paying as much attention, but it is Cameron Ward just far and away guaranteed the starting position here at Washington? Oh, he, oh, he was next. <laughs> well, and they, they, uh, so he transferred, followed his head coach from Incarnate Word, who is right. now the OC at Washington State. So okay. it's okay. it's so basically he's got a leg up. it's yeah. it's Bailey Zappi is is the Ooh. comparison. Okay, and not okay. not that he's. I mean, I mean, greatest CFF <laughs> quarterback of all time, uh, or or you know, top three, I guess. After who was it, Lamar and. Uh, anyway, but Bailey Zappi uh, averaged he had an he was incredible one score last year. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, and an absolutely incredible season last year. Not obviously not expecting quite that from Ward because he's only tenth in the rankings here. But that's the comparison. Same offense, just moving up a level of competition, and and you would expect, you know, probably have a pretty decent shot at at uh, taking taking things up a notch for that offense next year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's 
okay. plus percent that, that he's going to be the, the guy there. Um, but Xavier, you bring up uh, some good points. And, and one before I forget about it, uh, I, I should put you in contact with our friend Jared Palmgren, who is a Georgia guy uh, who runs uh, he's, he's CFF Jared on, on Twitter and uh, runs a lot of leagues, is involved with Campus to Canton. But uh, he has set up leagues specifically for people who've never played CFF before. Um, and I mean, I think that'd be, if, if you're interested, he, he's definitely the guy to, to talk to. Um, but on, uh, Leary might be a little low on Leary. Honestly, he's 27th. Um, he does perform well, you know, passing touchdowns were, uh, definitely a, a major strong suit for him last year. And there's other than the fact that he lost a lot of the talent around him, uh, at least as far as the skill positions go, you know, there you probably probably shouldn't expect much of a drop off. So you you could convince me that he's that we're a little low on him at twenty seven, um, and and I could I could definitely see that. Uh, Talia, we have at thirty eighth, and you know I, I could I could see him going a little higher than that. You know, you're right that there will be in a lot of shootouts. We're in a lot of shootouts last year and he put up numbers, you know, certainly in, in some games, but it was pretty much for the most part, uh, one of those situations where he picked on bad competition. So, uh, lit it up against Howard, uh, a lot of yards and, you know, three touchdowns against Kent state, uh, did pretty well. I mean, first four weeks of the season, look look really really solid and then that utah or not utah iowa game was just horrific right um and so he's he's the kind of guy that is a little bit hot and cold where when he's good he's really really good but he can he can roll out some really rough uh weeks from time to time as well uh and that three game stretch iowa ohio state and minnesota pretty rough last year he bounced back uh, but you know, yes, yeah, it's definitely hot and cold. And so he does have, you know, comparing him to Leary, he's in a little bit of a, uh, almost an opposite situation as far as who's coming back. They've actually added to that yeah. receiver room, uh, through the transfer portal with Jacob Co- uh, Copeland also getting a healthy Dante Dimas back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know John Lobb loves Talia might have him top 25 or, or something like that. So uh, you bring up as usual, some good points that, that perhaps little revision there. I might, I might be willing to move uh, Leary up a few spots, might be willing to move uh, Talia up a few spots as well. Um, was there something no, this I, I, did I forget it, something. No, not at all. the The only thing I would I would say is, uh, and Scott, you can tell me this actually. Is there a sour taste in CFF in the in the mouths of CFF guys with Spencer Rattler coming into this year? Yes. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that, I'm higher on Rattler than anybody, and he's like 35th or something. Okay. By the way, uh, just in in John Lobb's big offseason mock, which we're going to talk about on the ITL CFF show this Friday. Um, 30 or excuse me, 44 quarterbacks went. There are a couple, it looks like there are a couple auto picks in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Bailey Zappi was still in the system and, and he went. There were a couple just mistake ones, but uh, Rattler did not go in, oh, wow. in that. 
in that draft at all. So, uh, and Talia went, I believe QB 34, if okay. I'm looking at this correctly. So, uh, he, he's just, you know, uh, Talia went, let me see, uh, QB 36 actually. So after Clay Millen from Nevada, uh, just ahead of Drake may from UNC. UNC. So, um, I remember a point I was going to make about Quinn Ewers. So you bring up a great point and part Ewers of the went 10, lower. by the way, 10th quarterback overall in this draft uh, <laughs> and what was that third round something like that uh that was fourth in round. the fourth round yes you're right fourth he's been, pick he's been six going over on. 42 overall so. yeah and yeah i mean he played two snaps right handed off a couple times <laughs> so uh it's it's tricky and it is a problem well i i think it's a problem because i know there are some really really successful cff players out there who are much better at navigating kind of the unproven players uh i'm i'm the kind of guy i need to see it first and i'm not a i'm not a big recruiting uh guy i mean i i obviously we do a lot of stuff with recruiting ratings and in, in our uh team profiles and our uh player rankings ratings all that good stuff but i don't pay much attention to these guys until signing day and so i'm way behind on uh, you know, highlight tapes and all that, you know, high school film and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so partly because of that, and partly, I guess I'm just a little bit risk averse in some ways. And, and this is one of them. It, it takes a lot for me to buy in on an unproven player. That's why I'm a lot more likely to draft a sophomore who has, uh, you know, shown, something that I am a, a redshirt freshman like Quinn Ewers, who is set up in a perfect spot. I mean, the offense, the the talent around him, the fact that he was one of the highest rated, you know, high school recruits in history. I mean, it's it's set up for him to be a slam dunk top 10 guy. But the the same scenario last year, I was just a, a step slow, a, a spot or two low, lower than somebody in every draft on both Bryce Young and DJ Uyunglele, who were in the same exact scenario, five-star guys, perfect situation, Wound up look like different. slam dunks. <laughs> One turns into the Heisman winner and, a you know, where did he finish in, in CFF rankings last year, Scott? I mean, pretty, uh, pretty high happy. up there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, would finish higher if he ran a little bit more. 402.88 points, which makes him the fourth. Uh, he had the fourth most points for a qu quarterback. Uh, Cunningham, Hartman, and Zappi were the only guys ahead of him. Uh, Cunningham was 15 points ahead of him. Uh, Hartman was 27 points ahead of him. And Zappi was 104 <laughs> points ahead of him. Crazy. Zappi just had um, more points than anyone by 77. So. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I just, I'm that little bit too hesitant on a guy like that. It worked out with Uyunglele because, you know, just worst case scenario basically for him, uh, outside of an injury was to play and play poorly. But, you know, I didn't get any shares of Bryce Young just because I wasn't willing to go as high as other people were just because I hadn't seen you know, Bryce Young performed yet on a, on a college field. So I'm with you in a lot of ways on, on Quinn Ewers. That's why I'm a touch lower, but I just, I can't, I mean, I'm not going to end up probably with any Quinn Ewers shares just because there's always somebody who's higher than him 
uh, are higher on him than I am. But I mean, he's he's set up with every likelihood that he's going to be a very productive player this year, assuming. Uh, and there's a little bit of assumption here that he beats out Hudson Card and, and is the full time starter. I mean, another scenario is, you know, maybe maybe there's a, a slight risk, five percent. 20%, whatever it is, that he doesn't win the job. But most people expect that that it's his job to lose. And, and so, job. <laughs> right. Uh, and it, you know, makes sense. But maybe they split snaps in week one. And maybe you get out to a little bit of a slow start. And so sure. there's, there's a tiny bit of risk there. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, I have every confidence that Quinn Ewers is going to be very, very good. It's just me personally, and I think, you know, of a similar mind to, to what you were saying earlier, Xavier, it's, it's just I haven't seen it yet. And so it's difficult for me to fully buy in, at least to the point where I'm going to be able to draft him because there's always somebody who's bought in, ready to go. And in most most cases, he's probably going to be a lot closer to Bryce Young than he is DJ Uyunglele. But I agree with uh, that. I'm just going to be a little slower to, to get it. Going over to the RBs, we have Bijan Robinson as the number one running back, which uh, Xavier, I will hear no argument for that at all. So, uh, Bijan is number one. one. Uh, yeah, good. Uh, Travion Henderson uh, for Ohio State, number two. Jameer Gibbs moving over to Alabama, number three. Deuce Vaughn of K State, number four. Zach Charbonnet, UCLA at five. Braylon Allen, Wisconsin at six. Rashima Lee from Marshall at seven touchdown machine last year. Uh, Lou Nichols from central Michigan at eight, Sean Tucker from Syracuse at nine, Dwayne McBride from UAB at 10, Tavion Thomas from Utah at 11, Tank Bigsby from Auburn at 12, Devin A. Chain from Texas A&M at 13, Will Shipley from Clemson at 14, Blake Corn from Michigan at 15, Jordan Mims from Fresno State at 16, Zach Evans from Ole Miss at 17, Titus Swen from Wyoming at 18, Isaiah Bowser from UCF at 19, and Nathaniel Pete uh, from Missouri. Missouri round out your top 20. Um, uh, this is a good list here, Nick. Xavier, do you have any um, qualms with the running back order here? No. I mean, no. I, I think the top three are pretty, like, locked. Yeah, right? I think, the, yeah. Between Bijan, Henderson, and Gibbs, those are the top three just everywhere, right? Nick? Yeah. Well, I think Vaughn is is very close in that same tier. And some, some folks I know have – Vaughn over Gibbs. Uh, I just, yeah. I love Gibbs, man. I mean, he's, he's, he might be my favorite player. Uh, in, By the way, that top ball. four is, uh, they went to pick picks two, five, six, and seven in uh, the draft. That, those top four. Yeah. yeah. All I in mean, the first round. You, yeah. I mean, you look at a lot of them. I mean, the only thing I would say is may, may, maybe a chain. I, I don't like him at 13. I don't know how many carries he'll be able to take. Or, you know, will he split carries because of his size? I, I'm, you know, that that is a little bit of a worry with him, just, just a tad bit. But that's just me nitpicking at that regard because, you uh, you know, I, I think Devin A. Chain is an amazing player. It's just whether or not he'll make it all 12 games, um, you know, running the same amount from weeks one to weeks 12. So some, some potential surprises if people aren't, uh, you know, super tuned in to the CFF community. Um, you can make an argument that Rashin Ali should be higher. You mentioned touchdown machine, and and I guess I'm kind of anticipating a little bit of regression to the mean on on touchdowns because he was, uh, I mean, led the country, right? Maybe in, he in was the second year. highest scorer in, in uh, CFF for running backs last year, behind Lou Nichols. Lou, Lou Nichols 
325.82 points. This is PPR. Uh, Rashin Ali, 323 with 23 touchdowns. Tyler Algier had uh, 23 as well. This is rushing. He had 24 if you count receiving. And I think he had a couple kick returns Ali did as well, didn't he? So, uh, yeah, just an absolute touchdown machine. Most of his production coming from this, from getting in the end zone. Yeah, so I'm I'm expecting just a little natural regression. I think as part of that, but he's I mean a great player, and they added a little bit to that room. Former five star that we haven't seen in what three years now. Kalen Laybourne's there, so maybe you know he kind of recaptures a little magic and and ends up just giving Marshall something else to work with there. But I think overall, it's just you know that touchdown number was so high last year that that I I just think there's a little bit of of potential regression coming with that. Lou Nichols, a little bit similar, and also Kobe Lewis was injured last year, and he's back uh, this year. Former, I mean, Kobe Lewis was a potential uh, top 10 guy coming into last year before he got hurt. So, um, or maybe it was two years, I don't know. Anyway, really highly thought of and and productive player, uh, at least from CFF uh, circles. So I guess I'm, you know, potentially a, a little lower on there. You can make an argument, and especially those guys, one thing that, you know, we think about in CFF is your group of five guys after they get through, in some cases, a really difficult non-conference schedule where maybe they don't perform all that well, you know, going up against Conference USA or Marshall's in Sun, the Sun Belt now, but going against, you know, Sun Belt and, and uh, Mac defenses in the last two thirds of the season, that that is an opportunity for those guys to feast. So uh, understand that Sean Tucker, some people might have expected him to maybe be a top five or six guy. There's a change in offense there, a new offensive coordinator, uh, Robert Nay coming from Virginia, and they didn't really uh, showcase, you know, the, the top running back, top ball carrier as well there the last couple of years. So there's a chance that he just, you know, different role. He might actually get the ball uh, in the passing game a little bit more. So maybe there's a, a you know chance to recapture anything he might lose. Uh, just in, in handoffs there, but uh, perhaps some folks might have expected him to be a spot or two higher. And then maybe if you're not, you know, a super uh, tuned in CFF player or uh, SEC college football fan, you might be a little surprised that Nathaniel Pete, who didn't play a huge, huge role at Stanford, would be a top 20 CFF running back. But uh, Tyler Beatty, the way that, that Eli Drinkwitz used him in Missouri last year, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's the system and this particular coach and this particular um, offense, the top guy in that running back spot on the depth chart, assuming they get a similar, if not quite even, you know, as heavy a workload as Tyler Beatty got, has an opportunity to put up just some, some really, really big numbers. So Nathaniel Pete, I think, you know, the, the average college football fan might not know a ton about him, but if he takes over that top spot on the depth chart and keeps it, uh, has an opportunity to to be a breakout player, maybe on a national stage, somewhat similar to what Tyler Beatty was last year. Uh, let's go over to wide receivers here because there's some fantastic rankings at wide receiver as well. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, of course, uh, everyone's number one overall wide receiver, and he was the number one overall player in the Kumasum Laude draft that uh, John Lobb hosts every single year. Xavier Worthy from Texas at number two. Cedric Tillman from Tennessee at number three. A.T. Perry from Wake Forest at four. Jordan Addison now at USC at five. Josh Downs from North Carolina at six. 
Jermaine Burton from Alabama at seven, Quentin Johnston from TCU at eight, uh, Keishon Booty from LSU at number nine, Nathaniel Dell from Houston at 10, Rasheed Rice from SMU at 11, Marvin Mims from Oklahoma at 12, Miles Pierce from Texas Tech at 13, Jalen Cropper from Fresno State at 14, Stefan Cobbs from Boise State at 15, Dante Cephas from Kent State at 16, Tyrese Chambers from FIU at 17, Dontavian Wicks from Virginia at 18, Sakari Franklin from UTSA at 19, and Mac Hippenhammer from Miami of Ohio at 20. Hippenhammer, number one, uh, maybe the best name in all of college football, <laughs> just absolutely fantastic and had a huge impact. I mean, he was one of those guys that was, you know, um, the Maction Tuesday night Maction specials last year. He was a lot of fun to watch, but of course, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba coming off. How, how many yards did he have in the, the bowl game? I mean, it wasn't it like, like 300 or something, 350 and four touchdowns. I mean, uh, you know, let's see. He, in the Rose Bowl, 15 catches, 347 yards, and three touchdowns. Jesus. And, and this was, um, you know. Uh, His last five games, 240, 139, 105, 127, 347. I mean, it's just insanity Relative what he did. And, and, Put up 145 and, and two touchdowns against Oregon. I mean, he, it was just a incredible. Full season with and no that was playing Olave with two and Garrett Wilson. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, Travion Henderson is probably option one for Ohio State, uh, but uh, Smith and Jigba is, is awesome. Marvin Harrison Jr. also uh, coming up in a lot of rankings as well and definitely drafted. But uh, Xavier, I mean, look, wide receivers are the hardest to rank every single year because you're dependent on quarterback. You're dependent on how the offense runs, how the defense runs, you know, a lot of this stuff. But uh, so they're the hardest. They're going to be the most wrong from, from year to year. Wide receivers are, um, you know, tight ends are tough too, but there's just not a lot of value in tight end in college. So um, Xavier, when you look at this, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba has to be one. Are you okay with the, the rank after these guys or are you, uh, um, is there anyone you see that you go, man, why isn't X, Y, or Z either on this list or why are they not higher? Yeah. I, I don't know where Mario Williams is on your list, but I think he should be higher wherever he is. Uh, I think playing next to Jordan Addison this year, having Caleb Williams in an offense is going to have him any, anytime you have a guy who's a bona fide first pick or first round draft pick at receiver, I'm taking his number two because nine times out of 10 in college, they're number two, especially if they're number two is of the ilk of, like I was saying, with the Marvin Harrison Jr. or with the Mario Williams, they're going to get so many touches and at the very least so many opportunities to, to make plays. And I think when you look at it that way, you're looking at a guy who goes over a thousand yards with relative ease, especially with Caleb Williams as his quarterback. And you're looking at a guy who can, you know, stretch the field. You saw what happened in the spring game. I mean, he was. Caleb Williams, number one target for majority of the spring game, you know, then they had a field day on that defense. So I think, you know, I, I think he's going to have, especially being in the Pac-12, and I know the Pac-12 has this running joke of being, you know, a pass-happy, you know, league, but I mean, to an extent, it's the truth. And so I think when when you look at it that way, I think he's going to have a really good year. Um, and, and he's somebody who I would definitely look at picking up, uh, not, not, not necessarily early, but it would, it would be somebody that I would definitely be like, okay, cool, he's falling a little bit longer than I would like him to. Let me go ahead and pick him up right now. Uh, because I think he's going to get so many touches uh, with with Jordan Addison transferring there and, and essentially being wide receiver one from the day he steps on the field. Uh, you know, it, it's it's funny because uh, I think what we're getting now uh, is the overreaction 
to uh, Addison being drafted uh, or being, you know, transferring over to USC. Uh, Addis or excuse me, Mario Williams went uh, wide receiver number 31 in the eighth round behind, you know, like Jacob Cowing, um, uh, Tyrone Tracy, Corey Horton, Kanata Mumfield, uh, Mac Hippenhammer went a little bit lower than Nick Hazmat, 26. Um, so, uh, and Nick, you took, uh, Dazon Stribling from Washington state, uh, in this draft as well. Another interesting name. That was a, here. that was a stack with, uh, Cameron Ward. So with your boy, well, with your I boy, mean, I, Cameron I do like Ward. him. I, I, I think that might've been the first opportunity I had to draft him, but, uh, it's, it's interesting because I am, I am a little more, I have a different philosophy, I guess, on it than Xavier does at. USC. I have Mario Williams 104th in my wide receiver Ooh. ranks, which is probably a good bit lower. I mean, now you mentioned that he's he was an eighth round pick. So uh, whoever took him in in the uh, the mock we did, you know, has a much different philosophy on it too. But Addison showed up, and he's one of the best receivers in college football. I mean, pound for pound, if this were a list of best, you know receivers in college football, he would probably be uh, number two for me. I mean, Smith and Jigbo was just incredible last year. And so I'd probably put Addison as the second best and and maybe a tie for number one, as far as just receiver I want on my team. Uh, but the, the thing that scares me a little bit is not, not as much that, that, uh, teams are going to try to, you know, take away Addison. That's going to open up opportunities for Mario Williams. But it's the fact that, and I was impressed with Mario Williams and, and what I saw from him this spring, and and of course the connection with uh, Caleb Williams makes a lot of sense. But that re- that USC receiver group is deep, and there are things I like about Gary Bryant Jr. There are things I like about Taj Washington. There are things I like about Brendan Rice. I mean, one, the fact that he's the son of a the greatest receiver of all time is, is one of them. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, Terrell Byam uh, and, and even at tight end, I mean, I still haven't quite given up complete hope on Malcolm Epps yet uh, is, you know, that, that uh, former receiver who just sort of outgrew the position and, and is an athletic tight end. I, I do really kind of like Malcolm Epps as well, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's uh there's just a lot there, you know, and yeah. they're going to try to get the ball to Travis Dye coming out of the backfield. Uh, Caleb Williams is going to take off and run every once in a while. So I think in in some ways, and there are probably other folks out there who have Addison, you know, maybe as wide receiver number two, uh, I, I worry a little bit that he stepped into a situation where there are just so many mouths to feed in that USC offense and what you brought up that, you know, he's now probably the obvious go-to guy uh, that he might just get a little bit more attention from opposing defenses and defensive coordinators. I wonder if if we see a little bit of regression on, on just his overall production because of those two factors. And so I, you know, have him down at, at number five, but I also, it hurts Mario Williams a little bit too, because I mean, one, you got to feed Addison and then I do think that some of those other guys will, will get some touches as well. I might be too low on him, you know, 104, just looking at it and, and concentrating on it maybe seems seems low. So I, I could see the argument to move him up a little bit. But I like some other guys in that room as well. And and so it's not going to be, I don't know, it's, it's not going to be super easy for 
uh, USC playmakers to put up big numbers just because there's so many of them, at least on paper. Uh, but one one point about receivers, and we've talked about Bailey Zappi a few times here, uh, CFF players know that Texas Tech is now Western Kentucky because Zach Kitley, the yeah. offensive coordinator who was there, brought Bailey Zappi from Houston Baptist, brought Jareth Stearns. That's, that's Texas Tech now. So we expect that that offense is going to put up similar numbers, at least in terms of pass attempts and, and things like that. We'll see if they're playing a little bit better defenses or you know they don't quite have uh, sure things at quarterback or, or receiver, really. But that's why Miles Price, who may be a casual college football fan or, or doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to the Big 12 or Texas Tech, uh, you know, might say, wow. How in the world is he number 15? Well, it's because Jared Stearns, we talked about Bailey Zappi having one of the best quarterback years of all time. Jared Stearns had maybe the best receiver year in history. I mean, just incredible, incredible numbers. So right now, it's not a, a foregone conclusion, but Miles Price is the most experienced, you know, wide receiver on the roster. Probably, you know, will slot into that position that Jared Stearns played. So people are... are you know, if if we knew exactly that that it was going to work out, Miles Price would probably be a top five CFF player. There's a little bit of uncertainty uh, at the quarterback position. Tyler Shuck is not the guaranteed starter there, even though we have him as high as we do in our rankings. Um, but that that's why Miles Price is probably much higher on this list than you might think if you were building out, you know, a, a preseason All American team or. or you know, all Big 12 teams, something like that. It's it's the system. It's Zach Kitley. It's what we think this offense will look like. And then on that note, uh, we need to know who's that going to be, you know, who's that player at Western Kentucky. It's even less clear there because even though Zach Kitley is gone, kind of his, you know, couple of guys who, who have a lot of connections with Kitley stayed behind, like guys who are younger than three, the three of us. Um, who we know are just going to be like, yeah, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. Um, but we don't, we have even, we know even less, even though, you know, David Davis is back. Uh, they brought in a couple of transfers as well. Uh, uh, Malachi Corley, who's I think top 25 in our rankings, top 30, something like that, probably is the closest thing to, to Miles Price that, that we, we think at this point. But that's a question in CFF circles is, is you know, we expect that Western Kentucky offense is going to, look similar it might not produce quite as well but uh that that's why wku guys texas tech guys are, are really high on these lists compared to what other folks might expect uh just talking about traditional college football uh who on the list nick um makes you nervous because of outside factors not not them as a wide receiver but maybe a quarterback maybe uh an offensive you know mindset which which guy in the top 20 you know has you shaking your boots the most you would say probably duntavian wicks at virginia um mm-hmm. change in offense there tony elliott the former offensive coordinator at clemson we talked about you know the regression that dj Uyunglele made last year i don't necessarily expect that brennan armstrong will take you know that type of step back um i think that for the most part, I'm going to give even a first-time college head coach, uh, I think the benefit of the doubt to use a very, very good player, you know, to 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 not screw it up too much, you know, 
uh, Armstrong is is good enough and was productive enough that I think the new coaching staff will say, hey, let's let's keep a lot of the things that were um, successful last year, kind of keep those in the playbook and, and you know, use Armstrong's uh, senior season in, in that type of way. So I think, you know, I have I have Armstrong, a top 10 quarterback. He was really, really high last year in CFF rankings and, and just overall you know, point totals. But he's a bit of a controversial or at least, you know, player of, of topic of conversation this year because people are really, really scared of Tony Elliott and, and that new Virginia uh, offensive coaching staff. So you have that factor that could impact Wicks, but also a guy that I've taken a lot late in drafts that people seem to have forgotten a little bit about, Lavelle Davis will be back. Uh, also, Keaton Thompson, who had a really unique role last year, probably is going to be more of a traditional wide receiver this year. Uh, they also have Billy Kemp back, who's you know been targeted a bunch in, in his career there. So there are a lot of mouths to feed in the Virginia uh, receiving core. And off, also you have the concern that the offense might look very different, might, you know, just fall off a little bit in terms of overall production. So I'm a little bit concerned of having Wicks in my top 20. Um, and then slightly different answer, but but the other player that I would have brought up here uh, is Tyrese Chambers at FIU. I wasn't a huge fan of him last year, uh, partly because he was so explosive. Just, you know, big plays when he – he didn't get the ball a ton, but when he did, they were big, big plays. And so I thought he overproduced last year, and I was set to expect a regression this year just in terms of you know yards and touchdowns. But that offense, kind of the opposite of Virginia, is changing for the better, You know, bringing in an offensive coordinator who has air raid ties. Uh, not sure Gunnar Holmberg, the transfer from Duke, is you know necessarily who you would pick. Uh, in a perfect scenario to to be his quarterback, but I I think the offense actually is um, you know a better fit and going to better showcase a guy like Tyrese Chambers. But because I was a little concerned that he was so you know boom big play heavy uh, last year or, or big play reliant, that natural thought that he's going to you know just not he's not going to score every third time he touches the ball uh, this year, but he should in theory get the ball a little more often. So hopefully that'll, you know, keep him in that uh, top 20 range. Um, but he's a player that I'm a little bit nervous about. Uh, I, I, we don't even need to go over tight ends, but uh, your tight end strategy for this year, Nick, are you trying to grab mayor or Bowers, one of the top ones, or are you letting it come to you? Because that really seems like that that's the big difference in, in philosophy. And I've, and I've switched from years to year, um, you know, two years ago, I was Kyle Pitts on like every team last year. I just wasn't so excited about the tight end. So uh, are you trying to grab one earlier? Are you letting one of these later ones fall to you? It's it's worked out in such a way that I've been waiting this year. Uh, the position is so top heavy. And at the beginning of the, you know, the first few drafts I did, it was far and away. Everybody was, you know, crazy, crazy about Brock Bowers taking him in the second round, third round, something like that. Um, when this time a year ago, I was really early on tight ends and I was taking the first one in like round six, seven. Um, so it's, it's 
to the point where you have, you know, two, two and a half guys uh, who everybody is, is really high on, at least compared to the rest after, for me, it's Michael Meyer. I, I think partly Bowers is going to see a little regression. Partly he's going to um, compete with targets. Eric Gilbert wasn't playing last year and the way that he was used in the spring game specifically and down by the red zone, uh, down by the end zone in the red zone made me think, okay, that there's a chance that Bowers is going to uh, just not have as many opportunities, mostly for touchdowns, but also for targets perhaps as well. So I'm a little higher on Meyer, uh, Mayer because he is the go-to receiver for Notre Dame, should be. Um, I have a similar thought on Zach Kuntz, who was really productive at Old Dominion last year. I think he's kind of, you know, there is a, a clear top two in Mayer and Bowers, but I think there's a second tier that is creeping up a little bit, and Kuntz is kind of the lead guy there. Uh, Michael Trigg is a really, really exciting player and should get a lot of targets and will miss. Uh, and then Benjamin Urasek, I think, is, is in that uh, second tier as well. Um, but I, I just haven't been high enough or early enough on Mayer and Bowers yet. Uh, and I guess just maybe not willing to go up that high into the second round, third round, or I'm in a, a series of, of leagues that are, uh, tight end premium leagues that Greg Brandt, uh, has put together of, of Debbie watch, um, did a great job organizing everything and, and a lot of really, really smart people in that, those drafts. And I mean, those guys are going first round easy in, in those uh, tight end premium leagues. And I just haven't been in a position to take one yet. Uh, but also for me, the tight end position, it is very top heavy, but there are a lot of guys in the low end of the rankings that in the right scenario could really pop. So I mentioned Malcolm Epps. I, I can't quite quit him yet. I can see the scenario where he's the go-to guy in the red zone for USC. I mean, USC used tight ends and H-backs decently well at Oklahoma, or, or Lincoln Riley used them pretty well at Oklahoma. So I, I have a little bit of hope that Malcolm Epps will at least get, you know, pretty decent touchdown total this year. Uh, there are some teams that utilize tight ends in, in really kind of funky ways, like uh, Rutgers uh, has a former quarterback, uh, Johnny Langan. I'm not sure he's tight end eligible in a lot of leagues, but will probably be uh, manually edited to, to tight end. He's listed as a tight end now on the roster officially, but he gets a lot of short yardage and goal line carries. So we'll get some rushing touchdowns. There's a similar guy at UMass, Josiah Johnson, former quarterback used in a similar way, or at least has in the past new coaching staff there. So we'll see, but um, there, there are guys like I've ended up with a lot of shares of Trey Knox, former four-star wide receiver recruit of the Chad Morris era at Arkansas. I love a converted wide receiver. He's moved now to tight end full time. I'm I'm hopeful there. I mean, he's kind of, you know, hasn't hasn't produced quite at the level as he was, you know, expected to be as a recruit so far, but my hope is, hey, position change, maybe this will be a new opportunity. Plus there's a lot of, you know, targets uh for for KJ Jefferson doesn't return a whole lot of experience at receiver. So maybe Trey Knox now that he's fully a tight end. So so there are guys who are not going to rank really high on a lot of people's uh tight end lists. But, in, you know, late in drafts, and especially this tight end premium league, I've had to do it a few times, I'll pick up five or six guys, and, and they're probably lottery tickets for the most part. But my hope is, you know, one of them 
will hit and develop into a top 10 tight end that we didn't expect. Who's, you know, 40th, 50th on a lot of people's lists. Um, but I think there's an opportunity in some of those scenarios, you know, John, uh, what's his name? Uh, John Samuel Schinker from Auburn guy who, you know, Auburn doesn't throw a ton. I mean, that's partly why I'm a little higher on tank Bigsby than I know Xavier would be. Uh, but they're going to lean pretty heavily on tank Bigsby. And then when they throw it, they're probably going to lean pretty heavily on John Samuel Schenker. And, and he's just not, you know, really exciting, not going to be high on a lot of people's drafts, but I think he has an opportunity to get a lot of targets. So I'm trying to be creative at the tight end position. Part of it is I'm not willing to go as high as someone else is for Bowers or Mayer. Um, I'm, I'm either trying to settle into a decent value, you know, seventh, eighth round on a guy like Urasek or, or even Gilbert. Cause I do think he's going to get, you know, my similar thoughts. We talked about Cole Turner a ton last year uh, at the tight end position. I have similar thoughts on Eric Gilbert, just in the way I think he'll be used down uh, uh, by the end zone. But if I can't, if I can't get, you know, one of those uh, second or third tier guys in the, the seventh, eighth round, I'm waiting until the very end and trying to get creative and cobble together something out of, you know, three or four different guys that, Probably nobody has any expectations for, but I think in the right situation, one out of five or six times uh, might actually end up hitting it big and, and be, you know, really good value payoff. Xavier, how many leagues do you think you're going to get in this year? You're going to get in one, you're going to draft one from one from the ground up and uh, get it rolling on CFF this year? I would year? love to, honestly. Talk, I'm to, big, talk I'm, to Jared. I, yeah. I'm, a big, I'm a big fantasy guy. I mean, I, you get know, you. CFF underscore no, Jared, you know. NFL, you know, back-to-back fantasy champion for my, you know, my ESPN NFL fantasy league. So, you know, I, 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 unlike I, I, Tommy yeah. Fam, it's you yeah. and Jock Peterson. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you're yeah. the champs. I would have rocked Jock Peterson. Anyways, uh, anyways, uh, but no, yeah, like, uh, so I would love to join in. Um, I'm actually funny enough. I still get emails from, uh, I think it's Nick, or, or I got it, it's from, from Nick's league. You're, yeah, you're I've with, the league you're, for like months. Yeah, you're on there with me. So just imagine those emails times <laughs> 25 because that's how many <laughs> leagues I have on Fantrax, by Jesus. the way. So, yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, it, it's There's a lot going on. But uh, look, a nice CFF primer for those of you that uh, play or have always wanted to play. This is pretty nice. Uh, Nick yeah, is it ended a part up not of, being a, a short show. That's right. Yeah, not the shortest. <laughs> it's still short for us, but not the shortest we've ever had here. And so. It's yeah, for this for this particular point in the calendar, right? Exactly. Uh, but uh, ITL CFF show coming your way uh, pretty soon as well. Uh, Nick is a part of that. Uh, you know, usually more in season than off season, but Nick is a part of that as well. So please check that out. But uh, that is going to wrap it up for us. You can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself at CFP Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Tristier I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.